caregivers. Have you ever felt like nothing is going right? Well, cheer up and welcome to Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program, where you'll learn how to avoid that dreaded thing called caregiver burnout and how to survive the grieving process. Join Dave and his guests now as they share practice tips and tools that you can start using immediately to help get you through this day. Now, here's your caregiver host, Dave Nassani. From Huntington Beach, California, and the New York City coast, coast to coast, big welcome from the Big Apple and the Big L.A., all our listeners out there in Radio Land, I'm Dave Nassani on the Caregiver Dave Radio Show, coming to you live from the syndicated All Talk Positive Radio, HealthyLife.net, broadcasting in all 50 states and 135 countries with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, from the CaregiverSpace.org over there in Manhattan. And just a reminder that all our shows are available on demand at HealthyLife.net and on our membership website, CaregiverDave.com. Voted number two best podcast of the top six caregiver podcasts by caring.com. And just a reminder that if you go right now to caregiverdave.com, our free burnout quiz, as well as my first book about overcoming unbelievable hardships, are absolutely free waiting for you. So do that right now before you start listening to the show. And we do have an exciting show planned for you today. We'll be interviewing uh, today Dr. Ken Druck, author of the new book, Raising an Aging Parent. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Druck. And uh, how did your work, uh, well, let me get into that later. Let me just do a couple of housekeeping things here first. I do want to take this opportunity to thank our last guest, Steve Seiler, who actually wrote our new uh, introduction, which we're all looking forward to hearing. He is a singer-songwriter in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and Steve uses songs to help encourage and comfort caregivers and is the founder and director of Music for the Soul, a faith-based organization that uses songs and stories to help people find healing and wholeness. Steve is a Dove Award-winning songwriter who has had over 500 of his songs recorded by very popular and famous artists. And again, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on HealthyLife.net or on our membership website, CaregiverDave.com. All right, enough of that. Dr. Ken, welcome to the show, and I'm so excited to have you on. Good to be with you, Dave and Adrian. Good to be with you guys. Likewise, and I'd like to ask my guests to take a minute or two and just tell us who is Dr. Ken Druck and why was he put on this here earth? <laughs> you start with all the easiest questions first. Yes, so we're just glad, right at the top. <laughs> I'm glad we're going to ease right in. Uh, you know, I've, I've asked that question <laughs> probably my whole life, and I've arrived at age 70. Wow, you look year. great. Thank you. And at age seven zero, and I think back about all the seasons of my life. Mm, and that sounds like I, another book. Yeah, all the seasons of a man's life. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Levinson I like wrote that. it in 1970. <laughs> And I'm going to write that, that one down. <laughs> what what the thread is that runs through, and you know, I'm sure many of your listeners think about, what is a thread that runs through my entire life? And for me, it's been holding an inquiry, really opening my eyes, waking up, seeing what's happening around me, having some sense of understanding about it, and how to show up in each season of my life has invited me to show up in a different and better way. And mm. so I'm here to show up. 
I'm here to show up to be awake about what this life is, to be part of the mystery since a huge part of it is a is an unknowingness, is a mystery and a willingness to be a part of the mystery, but to also bring some element of, of clarity to what I do understand and what I can do, not only to make my own life better, but to, to plant that giving tree so that my kids, my grandkids, the future generations can sit in the shade of a giving tree that I help plant. Mm. Wow, I've asked that question about over 700 guests on this show, <laughs> and you are the first and only one to ever say uh, the profound thing you just said, that showing up is is actually the most important thing that anybody in life can do. Because we all have appointments to our destiny, and very, very few of them do what it takes to just show up. That's 90% of the battle, right? We're all afraid. We're all nervous. We all think we can't, uh, you know, do it. But, you know, I've learned to just say yes before I even start thinking about it when I am asked to do something. And then... And then I freak out. I say, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? You know, I've never done that before. Oh, my God. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You just, you'll figure it out. Just do it. And that's why I am where I am today, because I just showed up. There you Amen go. To that. If, if you went out to my website, you would see <laughs> the brand is Courageous Living. Oh. And, and my Angelo. It takes a lot of courage to show up. Yeah. My Angelo said that courage oh. is embedded in all the great virtues. Every mm. one of them has an element of courage in it. And that, and I believe that each change, challenge, and opportunity in life requires us to summon newfound courage. And we, where do we find it? Where do we resource newfound courage to face something from the very beginning to the very end? Yes, and I love that image of the cowardly lion on the Wizard of Oz. Because every time I hear the word courage, I just I just of see course. him like this courage, <laughs> you know, because he's obviously scared out of his wits. But but there he is, you know, and they're encouraging be strong, be courageous, you know. And yeah. the Bible tells us to be courageous as well. So yeah, boy, we're off to a great start here. Um, so yeah. let's talk about. Uh, I read something about you that that really was a little confusing to me, and I said, "Oh, I got to ask him that." How your work helping victims of tragedies, such as you know the 9/11, the Columbine, the Sandy Hook school shootings, led you to study how we grapple with aging. I just don't see the connection. Can you help me? Out? <laughs> it's a beautiful connection. The connection, you know, uh, I my work with uh, coordinating bereavement after September 11th and becoming the go-to guy so when tragedies like uh, Columbine and Sandy Hook happened I was the guy that was called in or one of the one of the people was called in to help what was your capacity that you did that? my my capacity was I after in 1996 my oldest daughter Jenna was killed while studying abroad Oof. and oh, I had so to face sorry. my time at the bottom of pain oh. gave me a sense of what it truly meant to suffer and what compassion really was. Mm. And to honor her life and spirit, I started the Jenna Druck Foundation. And we became the go-to organization. One of the programs of that foundation was to help families like mine 
that had suffered unspeakable tragedies and losses. Mm. So mm. I immersed myself in that world of grief and loss and resilience for so many years. And after mm. 20 years of running my daughter's foundation, I could hear both of my daughters saying, Dad, I've got a great idea for you, Dad. <laughs> I say both my daughters. My angel daughter and my earth daughter. Um, I heard, could hear both of them saying, Dad, here's a great idea. You just turned 65. Get a life. You know, how about that? Get a life. Yeah, get off Go the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Turn and, off the TV. And I started, and I looked down at my watch, and I noticed I'm 65. <laughs> and I realized that many of us who turn 50, 55, 60, 60, 70, 70, are grieving the loss of our younger self. Wow. Yeah. That we are grieving that what holds us back is we're not processing that grief, that sense of loss. We're living, we're looking back at our past. So what stands in the way of creating our best possible future, what stands in the way of making every year of our life and every moment that's unfolding as we're getting older, because we are getting older if we're lucky, yeah. what allows us to live in that moment and to show up is if we're processing that sense of loss, but we're we're also moving through it to the other yep. side, which is yep. which is the world of gratitude for the gifts, the blessings, the miracles we've had, we've been given, and one of the greatest miracles of all, which is that we get to pay it forward. Yeah, we get to leave legacy of love. We get to leave if we. If we act in a forthright way, in a generous way, we get to leave the world a slightly better place than what, than the way we found right. it. Right now, yeah. that's in a huge challenge. See, this is the I American spirit, it, it, not what the politicians are telling us. It's, it's people right. like you and me and Adrian who are actually running this country, who are paying the taxes <laughs> to pay these uh, jokers in the White House and in uh, Congress and in Washington and, and – uh, uh, you know, thank God that there are uh, that the inmates aren't running the the prison, so to speak. But uh, I turned sixty five uh, this year in January, and I always remembered that Colonel Sanders didn't become successful till he was sixty five. Do you believe it? And so I I embrace that as well. In the last two years, I have done more in my lifetime than my entire lifetime, and I don't believe it. it it's so unbelievable but i did it just by showing up yeah. by believing that i could do it by having a mentor by having people who have done it say well here's how you do it and so on so let's and talk about some cultures dave as you know like in india when you turn 60 you're just waking up oh you know you're just starting to become conscious and awake you have all this experience you can lean back mm. on that you're, you're yeah. emotionally freer than ever. Your need to prove and, and to pose and to posture, you know, we kind of get over some of that. Yeah. Our egos yes. get, have an opportunity to get stronger and healthier, more yeah, confident. America can learn that lesson from the Asian community because we, oh, don't, yes. we don't value our children. Otherwise, we wouldn't expose them to everything we're exposing them to. And we don't we don't value our elderly, you know. We just want to throw them away, hide them, sweep them under the rug, 
and there's so much wisdom to be had. Now let's talk about your book, Raising an Aging Parent. Um, why did you use the word raising? And would that word be offensive to an aging parent, for example? Because they hate that analogy, role reversal. You know, I'm the parent, you're the kid now. And and uh, have you had any pushback from that? I've had some of the most interesting conversations, <laughs> including one in the Wall Street Journal uh, three days ago, about the word raising. And what it gives me an opportunity to say is that raising up up. is what we do with our kids. We want to raise them. We want to rise to the best of us. We want to bring the best oh. of us to the to create the best in them, to That's draw out the best around, in yeah. them. And we raise them. We don't teach them learn helplessness by doing everything for them, you know, and not showing them what they're capable of slowly as they're able to. We don't do that, and and it shouldn't also be the thing that we do with our parents as they're getting older. We don't disempower them. We don't dismiss them. We don't render them invisible right. and irrelevant. We raise them up, and the way you show up for a parent who's getting older is to raise them up, including yeah. at times, because I have a lot of clients and a lot of families I, I deal with, Whose, whose mom or dad has d a dementia illness, mm. yeah. has Alzheimer's, yeah. or is no longer able to drive or can't manage the family home the way they used to and has to downsize. So even in those moments, we become part of helping them decide by empowering them, by asking them and listening to what they want, how they see things, rather than dismissing or diminishing them. So the word raising doesn't mean diminishing. It truly means raising them up and loving them, listening to them, supporting them, empowering them, and and becoming their their champion, their advocate, their advocate. help. Well, that, well said. I sure fell into that one, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> good job, good job. Are there actual parallels between raising children and raising aging parents? Uh, I would obviously say yes, because I can see the obvious ones, but uh, maybe there's some I hadn't thought about. Well, I, I, I think, you know, what do we do with when we're raising our kids? What do we do at those moments where we want to believe that they're going to make the right decision, they're, they're responsible? How do we walk, do that tightrope walking? We don't want to control them, and yet we want to kind of bring them along and help them make a good decision. It's the same thing with an aging parent. We don't want to control them. We don't want to overpower them. But, we, but we, sometimes they're not making good decisions on their own behalf. They're not making decisions about their own health and well-being. My own mom. When she was in her early 90s, she lived to be 93, she was not making good decisions about seeing a doctor, mom, maybe you should do that. So how do we speak to our kids when they're not making good decisions, mm -hmm. when an executive decision, it's time for an executive decision, and how do we speak to our aging parents? Do we run them over? You know, do we Send them disrespect to their room. them? <laughs> oh, or do... Or do we respect them, talk to them in a loving tone? Mom, I love you. I'm concerned. Mm. I'm not quite sure what to do. I, I think it would be great 
for you to see the doctor. Could I go with you? You know, mm. I'm, I think the doctor could really help you. You've been struggling with this. And, it, and I, think, I think it would be good for you to go. Please. That sounds so much better than sending them to their room. Good job. <laughs> uh, I had that experience with my mother-in-law at 89. Send her um, to a room or the other? Going, she'd been going to the same doctor and getting absolutely no results for forever and ever. And, and she loved this doctor, Steve right? And I just had to have, Steve and I just had to have a talk that empowered her. To go. come to the city and see the doctor that she should see, and and she did, and it made a huge difference in her life, and it did empower her. Choice, yeah. her own yep. choice. So there are yeah. parallels, and there are things that are different. Obviously, you know, our parents are dealing with, you know, they're in a season of their life where they're dealing with losses of their friends. Uh, losses of certain abilities, maybe they're not walking as fast or they're mm -hmm. not able to compute things as fast, maybe they're forgetting things, they're not able to manage the family home or, fam or their finances in the way that they used to. You know, who knows? Every situation is different, but we really want to work with them in a very personal way. And a lot of us are also, at the same time we're raising an aging parent, we're, we have a family of our own. We have yeah. kids that we're raising, whether they're getting older, we have a job or a career, we have, we're, and we're trying to have a life where we have time uh -huh. to do things for our own life and our marriage if we're in a marriage. Yeah. So it's, a, it's so, a difficult time for the sandwich generation as well. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. my, um, both of my grandparents from both sides of my parents are from Aleppo, Syria, and they... They came out here in 1911 during the genocide of the Armenians, mm -hmm. and they fought in World War One in exchange for their citizenship. and And I always knew a lot of uh, Middle Eastern families who had an elderly person living in their home, but that was back in the olden days. You know, Americans not so much. I mean, we usually think of family as what happens the first half of life. Uh, how's that changing dramatically today? Well, you know, we have how many millions of people, we look at the, the demographic of our population, you know, we have over 70 million baby boomers who are aging and their children are watching them get older. And so our families are having to deal with a lot of second half of life issues, you know, and especially like, my God, my, you know, we had a financial plan to take care of mom or dad, and they've mm -hmm. outlived the financial plan. How are we going to deal with this? <laughs> Where are they going to live? And you know, there are now right now there are a lot of granny flats being built. You know, matter yeah. of fact, there are tax incentives for people to right. build smaller on their land if they have enough land to build granny mm -hmm. flats. Yeah. So I think we're getting back to, for sometimes for purely financial reasons bringing families back together, yeah. bringing grandparents back into the fold for those families that can't outsource, send them to a senior community. And, and of course, they're not going to send them to live out on the streets. So what, what do we do? We're all confronting these issues as well as the issues of, you know, what's it like to be getting to be this old, to be 90, mm -hmm. 95 years old? And, and what are the emotional and psychological issues that arise in a lifetime 
for all of us, especially our kids, as they're watching us get older, what goes, what happens to them? Do they start mm -hmm. grieving the loss of the younger parent they knew? Are yeah. kids grieving? Uh, do some of our kids move away because they just want to distance themselves? It's making them feel too uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. do some of the siblings come in and become our caregivers? You know, you're, you, have, you have done such a magnificent job creating the conversations about caregiving. Mm -hmm. And when you have an aging parent, the, the issues that arise in a family, often between siblings, where you get one sibling oh. who's become the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's like, well, you know, why aren't you helping out with mom and dad more financially, mm -hmm. logistically, tactically, and so on? And you get, it resurrects some of the old sibling rivalries and grudges. Yeah. So you, we, have to, we have to really make sure that those things are not becoming an additional burden on our aging parent where they have to see a brother and a sister fighting over them or fighting right. with each other for who's the family yeah. hero. Yeah, and parents I hate have to question. see their kids. Uh, save it for after the break, Adrian. We've got to take a break. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Parents hate to see their kids fight over anything, you know, because there's the perception that mom always likes that one best, the Smothers Brothers best. Syndrome, I like to call it. So we'll be right back. We'll talk about all this when we get back. Don't go away. And we're back with Dr. Ken Druck, like duck, but you got to put an R in there, and Adrian <laughs> Ruberg, and I'm Caregiver Dave on the Caregiver Dave Show. So, Adrian, what was your question? I wanted to know if anticipatory grief on the part of uh, the children raising their parents entered into it the same way that anticipatory grief entered into my caregiving experience. Do you think that as they're seeing their parents aged, that they're realizing I'm going to lose them and what will that mean and how will that change our relationship? I think it's 100% related. I can't imagine that watching a parent that you love and that you're helping, that you're caring for, um, or watching anybody you love, but especially a parent, watching a brother or sister get older or deal with life-threatening illnesses or mm -hmm. things that are changing their lifestyle, it brings on a sadness. You know, it's sad. It's one of the it's one of those moments in life that, that we have this understandable sorrow and there is that anticipatory grief. We feel like we're losing part of them a little bit at a time. And right. it's it's understandable that we feel sorrow and that we allow ourselves those moments of sorrow. Because in those moments of sorrow are moments of gratitude, are moments of love and appreciation, and are moments and opportunities for us to face into the fact that life is a lease deal to begin with. We don't want to think about it, but it's a mm -hmm. lease. You know, we don't get to own it forever, and that we're going to need to, at some point in our own life, face the element of impermanence mm -hmm. and the fact that our own lives are a lease deal. And summoning the courage to do that and to make peace with that is one of the great spiritual opportunities of our lifetime. Mm -hmm. yeah. And now, feeling that grief, having to raise up the parents at the same time is, exactly. is a challenge. 
Exactly. Yeah, you know, they call it the sandwich generation. I like to call my own life the club sandwich generation. That's when you have <laughs> either the, uh, the the parents at the top and the kids at the bottom and your wife in the middle because, you know, that can happen. So any hope for this for the club sandwich generations, let, let alone the sandwich generation? You know, it, it Dave, it puts a lot on our plate, doesn't it? And I think when we have yes, a lot on does. our plate, when we have a lot on our plate, there's a, the greatest opportunity is upgrading our level of self-compassion, of kindness towards ourselves, of appreciation, of support, of encouragement, and of self-care. And so, you know, I, I teach something. I do trainings with, with different professional groups and, of caregivers, and I tell them that they need to download the pro-grade level, the new operating system for self-care. It's not enough to get a mani and a pedi. You've got, to, <laughs> you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to face into, you know, with self-care and, and self-compassion, we know, half, most of the time we know what we need to do. We're just not doing it. So I encourage people yep, to look right. at what I call the self-care saboteurs. <laughs> what are the things in us that conspire to get us to not do what we know we should be doing. How do we how do we face those saboteurs? How do we conquer them? This is all in your book, right? And then put together a, an implementable master plan for our own self care. Mm -hmm. This that's is in your the, book, right? And that's that's what this book's about. Yeah. The two chapters in raising an aging parent are specifically about. The self-care saboteurs. So give me the number one saboteur. Number one. Number one saboteur is never enough perfectionism. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Never enough. Never enough. Absolutely. Never enough. I can never do enough. You know? No, you've got a self-care checklist, enough. right? Excuses, excuses, excuses. Um, allowing guilt, shame, fear, and embarrassment to shut us down. Oh, mm -hmm. guilt. Being unworthy <laughs> and undeserving. Never enough perfectionism. Fear of losing status, power, and identity. Unforgiving, self-defeating, and self-punishing behavior. These are all the things that keep us down, that stand in the way of us taking ourselves into our own arms and saying, yeah. look at you, you're doing so much. Can't we balance this out by you doing some of the things for yourself mm -hmm. and then putting together, you know, the keys to self-care, which are also in the book, you know, making the decision to change the way you care for yourself. Two, defining your end goal. What does it look like if it all works? You know, three, make a list of people and things you need to say no to. Mm. That's huge. Four. Lightening your load, unburdening yourself, and allowing pleasure, allowing rest. This morning Without I had guilt. a, Without a guilt. coaching session yeah. with, with a mom of four boys who has given herself no permission to take this. Her coming in for a coaching session was completely counterintuitive. She never has done anything like this, but she's burning out. She's burning mm -hmm. the candle at both ends. And she knows that she's going to make herself sick like her own mom got, her own mom. And she doesn't want to become her own mom and get sick and die young. 
And she says, Great. She recognized I've got it. to stop and I've got to start learning how to take better care of myself. And we sat through a whole checklist of possibilities, especially over the holidays. The holidays are an incredibly good time to put yes. together your checklist of here are five things I could do to burn out and here are five things I could do to take precious, good, loving care of myself. Things I could say no to, things I could say yes to. So we had, we had a great meeting and she said, I already feel like I can do this. I can do this. The problem we, we have is that we're so used to self-defeating behavior. It's like we know what to do, but yeah, I've tried that and that, that doesn't work. And we can't get enough, get enough steam up to really put something simple and elegant in place that would start us on a path of self-care. Wow. That's the challenge. That is the challenge. Listen, we're going to take another break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And we're back with Dr. Ken Druck and Adrian Gruberg. I'm Dave Nassani on the Caregiver Dave Show. And I want to talk about your book, and it's got a lot of practical advice for adults and sons and daughters caring for aging parents, as well as how to face their first holidays without an aging parent. Now, the holiday's coming up. What do you say? Because that could be a really traumatic, you know, that's when all of the, the relatives you don't get along with come out of the woodwork. Right. And it's just, you know, some people just dread it. And I the can't stress. imagine having to do with the caregivers. Because now you got, you're face to face with all the siblings that won't lend a hand to mom and this and that. And how do you keep it from blowing up and becoming just a really messy uh, experience? Well, Dave, it's such a it's such a great question, and I imagine a lot of people are sitting out there planning for the holidays and thinking, "What can I? What could I do? What can I do to prevent a family disaster?" And things this being something that, especially the grandkids or the kids, say, "Oh God, I hope we don't have to do that next year," because that was miserable. Um, and and often it has to, it starts with good planning. It starts with saying. Hey, mom's not going to be with us. This is the first Thanksgiving without mom or dad or or grandma or grandpa. And how could we represent our love for them, you know, in the most positive way? Um, would anybody be willing to bring the food that, that is usually there? Would anybody be willing to say, you know, a prayer or to uh, to have a memory or to read a poem that they wrote? You know, what could we do without making the entire Thanksgiving or holiday about it, about their loss? But what could we do to bring our love for them and bring their life and spirit into the room in a way that wouldn't be overwhelming, but that could be satisfying to most everybody there? And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to figure out in advance, because what we don't want is to be in the middle of a, a of a train wreck where we have people crying over here and people saying, you know, if mom were here, we don't want to get in the middle of that. We really want to honor them. Yeah. And honor is the key and operative word by doing things in their name and spirit that would please them to know. Wow. You know, uh, we talk about the grief process every now and then. and um, 
Because anytime we suffer loss, we we grieve. And I grieved when my wife lost her body, and she was no longer the same person she was. She grieved because she lost her body. Is it is it possible for people to heal after pro- profound traumatic loss of a loved one? And if so, how? Well, you you lost your wife, which I'm so sorry to hear. Well, no, she's still here. She's still here, yeah. but she lost her speech. And she's uh, paralyzed on one side, so she's not the same woman she was. But you know what? She reinvented herself yes. and embraced the new normal. And now we travel all all over the country, just speaking, her heart. Uh, helping amazing. caregivers stay alive. She I'd is be honored to meet her. I'd be honored to meet her. Maybe one. So day for me, will. I talk about the six honorings, Dave and Adrian. The six honorings is a code for what do we do? We're standing in in the ashes of Plan A. Somebody we love as much as we love life. We've, we've lost that person. The first honoring is our own survival, is to survive the loss, their loss. The second honoring is to do something good in their name. It could be as simple as planting a tree. It could be lighting a candle. It could be, you know, I was a maniac. I went out and started a nonprofit foundation in my daughter's name. The third honoring is to begin to develop a spiritual relationship with them. And that's that embodies the love that never dies. That's continuing to say, I love you, and listen for I love yous every day, even though we don't understand with complete certainty the nature of what life and death is, we still hold them in our hearts with the love that never dies. The fourth honoring, is to embody some aspect of their spirit, of who they were when they were here. My daughter was so life-loving. She just loved life. And I try to be more that way as I grow up and, and as I grow older. Wow. To embody some element. It could be their kindness, their sense of humor, uh, you know, their whatever it is. The fifth honoring is, and it takes some of the greatest courage is to write new chapters of life, even though they're not here. To write new chapters because your life continues on. Your life is unfolding. And for you to continue to live out the rest of your days in a way that's purposeful and meaningful and to leave the world a better place in some small or large way. And the last honoring is to take the high road in the rawness of your grief, rather than biting people's noses off and allowing your sorrow to become the central organizing principle of your world, to allow your love to be the central organizing principle of your world, and not to bite people's noses off, but to use what you've learned about compassion to be understanding and patient and kind with other yeah. people. And don't cut your own nose off just to spite yourself. <laughs> Some people yeah. do that. I've got to say, I've, I've got to say, I am so pleased to hear those six, those six honorings, and how many of them I fulfilled. Um, yes. I don't know how, but I did it right. And and because you're smart, to, to hear to hear you confirm that I did it right <laughs> really means so much to me. <laughs> you just took so much guilt off of Adrian's shoulders, uh, Doctor. I had you. no guilt because I did everything <laughs> I could. <laughs> you did. You yeah, did but there's that tiny little doubt in I the back of your mind. Your hand no. on your. It's beautiful to see 
your hand on your own heart. Because in the world that we live, what do we see more than anything? We don't see people's hands on their hearts. We see people's feet on their throats. <laughs> people, people are more harshly self-critical about what they didn't do or what they could have or should have done or what they should be doing. And yet the thing that fills us, the thing that, that feeds resilience and strength and newfound courage is, is self-compassion, our hand on our own heart, acknowledging and appreciating ourselves for all the good things we are doing, have done, mm -hmm. and will probably continue to do. The coulda, woulda, shouldas, yes. Coulda, so, woulda, shoulda. I want to talk about uh, pets. We had a guest on our show a while back uh, talking about grieving the loss of a pet. And, you know, some people who don't have pets and don't understand pets or don't like dogs or don't like cats or whatever, they don't get this. <laughs> but, you know, we've had our share of, of pets that have gone on to meet Jesus and, and it's hard. It's even harder sometimes. I would venture to go out on a limb and say, than uh, human loss, because somehow that animal gives us what the humans can't: unconditional love. They don't judge us. They Forgiveness. don't guilt us. They just are always there. We can discipline them and yell at them and kick them or whatever, and they just forgive us. And they're there. Or they're the first ones to greet us at the door when all the kids are looking at their devices and they don't even know we're home. <laughs> Explain that. You're spot on right. Our four-legged children, our fur babies, <laughs> our fur babies, we take them all the way into our hearts. They are an intimate and intricate part of our lives. And they, in some ways, show up for us, which is where we started today. They show up for us in ways that most people don't even show up for us. It's like they are our caregiver. Yeah, they are. They are. And, um, you know, there have been recent movies that everybody tells me, oh, my God, I saw the dog's purpose and I cried. You know, I, I saw my fiance was reading that book. It's the first time I've heard her crying in the background, reading a book. I said, what are you reading? You know, because it, it touches in so deep. And five months ago, our beloved, our beloved four-legged son died. And we went through a grief that was so horrible. Now, I'm, I'm the grief guy. You know, I teach grief literacy at the Harvard School of Public Health. Mm. I, I know a lot about grief and loss, and you're absolutely right, that some of us it shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed, but the truth is that we experience the grief, our loss of a pet, is often much more severe. And we need to take care of ourselves in that grieving, not be embarrassed about it. And there are things we can do to take care of ourselves as we're grieving the loss of a pet. Now, in our case, we got a call. Of course, what do people want to do immediately when you lose your pet? Oh, well, let's get you another cat quick. Right. Let's right. get a substitute dog, you know, you know, or whatever it is. No, no, no. And please, and yet we got a call a couple of months after our dog Bean died, and somebody said, look, I know it's too early for you guys, and I shouldn't even be calling you, but there's a very special dog, and he needs a home, 
and he's going to go very quickly. Would you want to come mm. and meet him? And we went and met him. And sure enough, he was very special. And he's laying right down there, oh. snoring and drooling and, uh, <laughs> and having a good time. And he's becoming, he's in training now to be a therapy dog. Wow. Ah. You know, it's a, I'm going to tell you guys a, a, an interesting story, which is that, you know, I, I have a small coaching practice. I still see clients. And I, after my dog Bean died, I, a lot of my clients came in and said, listen, no offense to you, but, you know, I was coming in to see the dog. And this dog crawled in my lap. Oh. It was such a beautiful, loving presence. But, you know, something's missing, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having having the presence of a loving critter uh, with all of their, you know, and this yeah. guy's a goofball. He's so funny uh, that he also, he brings so much joy with him that I'm very blessed and we're very blessed to have him. Amen. I know what you're talking about. Listen, we need to take I another break. So. Our last, so we'll be right <laughs> back. Don't go away. And we're back. Dr. Ken Druck, Adrian Gruberg. I'm Dave Nassani on the Caregiver Dave Show. And in the last few minutes that we have, I'd say about four or five minutes, let's talk about leaving a legacy of love and paying it forward with the good in our own lives, you know, to our children and grandchildren, our future generations. How can we do that through the love, care, and support that we show our aging parents? Because one time I have a gas station and this man came in and he didn't realize that his elderly father followed him in. He obviously had dementia or something. And when he saw that, mm -hmm. he just told, what are you doing here? I told you to go back to the car. Stay in the car. Mm -hmm. You never listen to him. And he's just ranting on this guy in front of a, cust uh, uh, a store full of customers. His little boy, maybe eight or nine years old, is watching all this happen. And I'm saying, that's exactly how that little boy is going to treat you. <laughs> when mm -hmm. you have dementia or are too elderly, uh, uh, right. talk about that. Uh, remember that old song, Cats in the Cradle? I do. Yep. <laughs> That's in the spoon. He grown up just like me, you know. Yep. Our kids are watching. They're watching how we, what we do, how we deal with all the elements of our parents getting older, and we're watching ourselves. You know, self esteem is the reputation you have with yourself, and we're watching ourselves, and we're watching our wives and our husbands and our friends, and how everybody deals with the challenges and the changes that come with getting older, and how they create opportunities out of this time of life as well. And I think leaving a legacy of love is a decision to take the high road. It's a decision that I'm going to summon the courage and strength and the faith and understanding and patience. I'm human. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel frustrated at times. And and yet I am going to allow my patience to prevail, my compassion and empathy to prevail, my humble unknowingness to prevail with things yeah. I, I don't understand. It doesn't feel fair that my mom should have to suffer or my dad should have to, you know, there's a part of the mystery of this life that we're on our knees and, and in, a, in a humble unknowingness. And it's, yep. it's adopting that attitude and saying, look, I'm going to do the best I can. Epigenetically, I'm going to do better. I'm going to take what I've learned and been given 
and I'm going to pay it forward to the next generation, to my kids, their kids, seven generations ahead, as Native culture does. And mm -hmm. I'm going to pay it forward by planting a seed and growing a giving tree in which my, though, huh. my the future, my kids and grandkids, can sit in the shade of that and still feel the warmth of the sunlight uh -huh. through it. By the way I take care of my parents, by the way I take care of our community, by the way I take yeah. care of the family, by the way I take care of the earth and this planet, yeah. by the way I participate, by the way I show up. And I'm going to show up in a loving, caring way. But I'm also not going to leave myself out of the equation. Yep. They're going to see me taking care of me, too, because there's room for both. Yep. That's what that's one of the Ten Commandments been around for thousands of years. Honor your mother and your father so that your life can be long and rich and full. Well, God, we can talk another hour, but we gotta go. So how can people get a hold of you? How can they buy the book? How can they find out everything else you do? Maybe coaching? Yep. You can go to www.kendruck.com. Go to my website, kendruck.com. This Great book, picture. which was the number one Amazon new release in its mm. category when it came out three weeks ago, uh, this book wow. is available, audiobook, ebook, if you read Kindle, mm -hmm. paperback, uh, hardcover. This book is available on Amazon as well as in your bookstores. So you can also reach me through, if you like Facebook, go to Dr. Ken Druck, D R K E N D R U C K. And you can meet me on Facebook. I have regular articles, things about caregiving, articles about everything, including what's awesome. happening in our country. And I welcome, <laughs> I welcome meeting you. Awesome. And I'm at caregiverdave.com. Adrian is at uh, thecaregiverspace.org. Thank you again. We'll see you all next time. Goodbye.